What is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Down Rundown, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is the place for you. We're your two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Today is Monday, October 10th. And in that is right. We are having our NFL and college football review of the weekend today, as usual. And we're getting it out to you on Monday night. So it's uh, so it's going to be before the, well, we're, we're recording this before the Monday night game, which we, like I said, we don't really like to do. But we are doing that because it is the best for our schedules this week. So we'll have an episode out to you today and then most likely on Thursday as well. So if you're new and joining us just for this episode, then be on the lookout for another episode on Thursday because that will most likely be happening as well. So with that being said, what do we have on tap for today? Well, we've got obviously some NFL topics. We've got three NFL topics, one of which is probably going to take not very a very long time, and then the other two are going to be pretty in-depth. And then we've got two college football topics. And then we've got a fun segment at the end, which you should definitely stay for. And it has to do with the Broncos. I'm just, that's all I'm going to say. Cause I don't want to really give it away because that wouldn't be good. I want people to say it to the end to listen to that. So yeah, Matt on the other end, how are you doing? Yeah. Last week was a little busy, but this week we're back on schedule. This is how we should be doing it. Going over everything Monday, fresh in our minds, getting out to the people. So you're able to have it Monday night. Let's do it Tuesday. And then another episode later in the week, kind of cleaning up on everything or, or doing a preview, you know, whatever that may be, but there is a lot of stuff to go over. It wasn't a, a, a super crazy week in, in the NFL uh, by any means, nor really college, but there's, there's a, there's a lot of specific topics that, that, that we're definitely going to get to and that we want to point out, you know, that's kind of what we do here on the first down rundown podcast is, is dive a little bit deeper than just talking about who won each game and, and whether a certain team looks great just because they, they have put up a good offensive performance in one game, right? We, we dig a little bit deeper, talk about the themes of the overall season. We talk about, you know expectations versus reality all that type of stuff and so that's going to be a big theme of this episode uh, especially when it comes to the NFL and college and then as Hayden said a new fun segment coming up we have a couple fun segments that we kind of rotate through uh, but this was a new one that Hayden developed and I think it'll be really fun Uh, so why don't we go ahead and get into it all right well first before we get into it I just want to announce that last night my intramural football team went undefeated in the regular season. So we, in fact, are undefeated on the regular season, 4-0, and we are heading into playoffs as one of the top seeds. I don't really know what seed we're going to get in the playoffs, but, yeah, that's I mean, that's some news for today. I think that that's pr- a pretty cool, pretty cool thing to announce. I think that coming back from being down two touchdowns in the first half to shutting out the other team in the second half and then scoring two touchdowns plus a two-point conversion in the second half and winning by one point on the day to go undefeated, to remain undefeated on the season. I think that's a pretty, I think that's a pretty valid thing to, to announce. So that's, uh, that's how it's going in the Hayden Vozar world, but yes, let's get into the NFL. So the top teams in the NFC coming into this year were the Packers, obviously the Bucks and the Rams. Those were kind of the three teams that everybody had a consensus agreement that, Yes, these t- these three teams are most likely going to be the one NFC NFC team that represents the NFC in the Super Bowl. Thus far, none have looked particularly surprising and each has had at least one embarrassing loss. Packers, Bucks and Rams, they've all had I mean the Packers they they actually almost had a, another embarrassing loss to the Patriots. Um they lost to the the Giants yesterday and the Rams have the Rams have kind of just been looking shaky over the past 
well over over the whole year really and then the bucks um you know they've they've also been looking a little you know tom brady's not really himself so let's each give some quick thoughts about what's wrong with each team as well as what we think their outlook is for the rest of the season so matt take it away yeah, I mean, these are the three teams that were the favorites to win the NFC, to go to the Super Bowl. The Rams obviously won the Super Bowl last year. The Bucks obviously won the Super Bowl two years ago. So we have kind of the two past reigning Super Bowl champions in this little group here. And then the Packers have been to, I think, three of the last four NFC championships and no Super Bowls in that time. But still, if you have Aaron Rodgers on your team and an increasingly you know, good defense, you're always going to be in the market for, for winning the NFC and, and, and having a chance to go to the Super Bowl. So as Hayden mentioned, nine, none of these teams have looked particularly surprising, or at least as good as we would have expected. Again, expectations versus reality is a big, big deal, especially when we're kind of, you know, a month into the season now, we're, we're getting to know what some of these teams are going to look like, but none of them have really, have really surprised. And in fact, a lot of, you know, almost all of them have surprised in a bad way if anything, thus far in, in the season. Uh, Hayden mentioned it, right. I mean, the, the Packers almost tied the Patriots, okay? And then the they lost to the Giants on Sunday. The Bucks had, you know, not not a great offensive performance um, or offensive performances throughout the year so far. Like Hayden said, Tom Brady hasn't looked that great. Uh, the offense hasn't hasn't been you know clicking on all cylinders. And then obviously, right, they they had that embarrassing Sunday night loss to the Chiefs, where they were never going to even have a chance to win that game, and they were about down by three scores for most of the game. And then yesterday when they're up three scores, 21, nothing, and the Falcons come back and make it 21, 15, and they could have possibly won the game. So I think the Bucks have just been a little bit, not as much as we're not as great as we thought they would offensively, despite the fact that, right, you know, and we keep saying this as crazy as it sounds, Tom Brady led the league in passing yards and passing touchdowns last year. So we, we, we can't just say, oh, well, Tom Brady's getting old. Yes, he's getting old, but he's proven to this point that getting old doesn't really mean anything to him. So he should be doing at least a little bit better than what it's looking like so far. And the Rams are probably the most disappointing out of the group here because, right, I mean, you know, they, they got blown up by the Bills in the first game. They beat the Falcons, who are now, I think people most people realize, not a terrible team in the NFL, but definitely not a team that's going to be, you know, have a winning record or anything. Um, we're handling the Falcons in that game, the Rams were, and then the Falcons came back and almost made it, you know, almost won it, right? And then they get blown out on Monday night and, and didn't even have a single offensive touchdown against the 49ers. And then yesterday against the, the Cowboys, who all of a sudden they're looking like an amazing team. And, and again, once again, right. The Rams have one offensive touchdown. It's an 85 yard touchdown to Cooper cup. And they only put 10 points on the board in the entire game. Stafford has like, you know, two turnovers. I think he's had at least one interception, I think in every single game so far, he's not looking like himself. So it's really like we're, we're far enough into the season where these teams shouldn't be looking this bad, this consistently. Right. I think that's the point that we kind of want to make is like, you've had these, these teams were supposed to be great coming in. They're reigning Super Bowl champions, two of them, and, and obviously the Packers and Aaron Rodgers are always in the mix, you know, when you when you kind of consider that stuff. But it's it's like we're missing something with all these with all these teams. And particularly, I think it's on the offensive end. And you can kind of make that argument. The Packers have looked probably the best among the three. Uh, but even in times like especially in times like yesterday, where in that London game against the Giants, the Packers are winning 20 to 10 at the end of the half and then they lose the game 27 to 22. So the only points they scored in the second half was a safety that the Giants scored on purpose with like 10 seconds left in the game. So that explains, I think to me a little bit that it looks like the Packers are, are for some reason, their offense is at some points just not clicking enough, you know, or as well as it should be. 
And the same against the against the Patriots. Like it's a home game against basically a third string quarterback for the for the Patriots. And he just they just couldn't really put up many points. And I think that yesterday the Giants really their defense showed that, you know, they kind of just put a bottleneck on Rogers' offense. I think the problem, the main problem with the Packers right now is that they're not running the ball consistently. And the thing is, they're successful when they are running the ball and then they just kind of stop and have Rodgers throw the ball like 50 times a game. And that's not going to work over the course of time. Aaron Jones is a great running back. AJ Dillon is a great backup. If you wouldn't even call him that at this point, they're an amazing one, two punch at running back and they have whole and the offensive line is good, right? So they're producing holes for these running backs to go through. And that sets up the pass game. But what they decide to do is just like they get down by a touchdown and they get all, you know, flustered and it's okay. Well, let's, you know, we have, well, we have to go shotgun, throw the ball three times, third and out and you're gone. Right. And then the, and then the giants win the game. So that's the kind of point on offense where the Packers are struggling a little bit is like, you got to get that run game established and, and keep doing it. Cause what they do is they get the running game established and then they just go away from it and they just pass the ball all the time. And as great as Aaron Rodgers is, he doesn't have as, you know, the full threat of wide receivers as they, like he usually does. And so you're going to need that run game a little bit, lean on the run game a little bit more than you normally would because of the fact that some of these receivers are new and it's going to take a little bit longer for them to gel. So that's where I get to my kind of synopsis on the Packers, especially for their outlet as it pertains to the outlook on them for the rest of the season. If this is what it looks like to be kind of be where they're at their worst, right? With these receivers still gaining some experience in the NFL and Rodgers still kind of getting on the same page with the new receivers. I mean, two of them are rookies, right? There's basically two starting receivers are rookies. Um, if, if this is what it looks like in a, in a you know game where they basically had the win and then the Giants defense kind of stepped up and Daniel Jones looked like a, an actual NFL quarterback for the first time in his life one game okay fine right and they struggled against the Patriots but they still got the game but they still got the deal you know the deal done right and they won the game so they're three and two they're you know probably still going to win the division I think the Packers probably have a good outlook just because of the fact that we have a lot of time for them to gel and get used to everything the Buccaneers again like I said I think it's probably just because the receivers have been so injured, really. I mean, they had to bring in Cole Beasley for like a week and a half, and then he just retired. Like, I don't know if anybody realized that, but they signed Cole Beasley for like a one-year contract, and then he played in one game and probably had, like I think he had like one or two catches, and then he just retired like halfway through this week. So that kind of explains to you how, how hurt the, the Buccaneers have been at receiver. But a game like yesterday against the Falcons, they have all their starting receivers and it just, it still looked so choppy at times. Like they only scored, you know, I think, well, I think they did score three, end up scoring three touchdowns, but and Tom Brady has over 350 yards and, you know, Leonard Fournette looks like a beast. And it's like, you only put up 21 points on a Falcons defense that isn't good at all. And, and so that's kind of where I come back to the Buccaneers. And it's like, they look good at some points, but at other points, it's kind of just like, you, you, you know that they're just missing a gear. There's a lot more that they could be doing and they're just not really showing up in that category. And despite putting up a lot of total offense in terms of yardage, both running and passing, they're not scoring the ball as efficiently as I think you would want them to. And so I think hopefully again, kind of with the same with the, the Packers, you got to get all your receivers healthy. Once the receivers are back, I mean, the Buccaneers receiving core is probably the best in the league, arguably maybe behind the Bengals, right? at least those are those are probably the one too right in, in terms of the entire nfl as a whole when you get that group healthy again and everybody's clicking on the same page you're gonna be fine but the the problem is is that group ever going to be healthy we see that chris godwin continuously struggles with injuries and and it's kind of like is he ever going to be able to stay healthy for a full season and mike evans as much as he's you know always in in uh you know in in tandem with Tom Brady and they're, they're going up and down the field and he's catching touchdowns and stuff. You know, he's looked shaken up a couple times already this season. So if they can stay together as a unit, 
it, it's it's only good things for this Buccaneers offense, but they need to be converting these opportunities into more points. Uh, and then the Rams, again, everybody's everybody's kind of you know gonna gonna give the Rams a bunch of crap for for how they've been performing this season so far. And if you want to talk about injuries, the Rams probably have the best excuse. I mean, the offensive line. It, they had not had the same starting five on offensive linemen start the game in any game this season, right? So they've had a different starting offensive line at any lineup, you know, the starting five guys, uh, different five guys every single week. And you're just not going to be able to produce on offense. If you don't have a, an offensive line that, that, of which basically, you know, the most important feature of any offense is the offensive line and the offensive line, well, the offensive line's most important feature is the fact that you have continuity, you have chemistry, you know what guys are going to go where, you know how, what protections you need to you need to you know call in certain scenarios. You're calling out blitzes, you're 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 you know you're blocking for the run. All that stuff is extremely important and something that they had last year, which allowed them to win a Super Bowl, right? But this year it's like they just don't have that, and because the guys are going down like flies, I don't know when the next time there is that they're out going to be able to be like that again. And like I think secondly which is probably a problem that builds off the offensive line is the fact that Sean McVay, yes, he's a genius head coach. Okay. But if his offenses are going to just be predicated on running the ball efficiently and then, you know, passing off of that, you know, play action or bootleg or whatever it may be, that's the foundation of the offense. And if you can't establish the run, you can't just think that you're going to throw it all over the field, particularly too, you know, because they, they don't have, I think the, extreme athletes that you need to run an offense like this when you don't have an offensive line to be able to protect him so much right so we saw that one year you know where the Chiefs didn't have an offensive line at all and Patrick Mahomes made it happen they got to the Super Bowl yes they lost the Super Bowl to the Bucks, but there was absolutely no offensive line but they still got to the Super Bowl and that's because Patrick Mahomes while being you know arguably the best quarterback in the NFL right now um, also had Tyreek Hill, McCole Hardman, you know, all these guys on the outside, Travis Kelsey, all these guys on the outside, not, not to mention like Kyle Edwards-Alaire and, and, a, and a great backfield. Jared McKinnon had like a 50-yard touchdown in the Super Bowl, right? So a lot of weapons can overcome struggles that the offensive line has. But if you don't have weapons and you don't have chemistry in the offensive line, you're not going to be winning football games, especially scoring points on offense. And we're seeing that happen with the Rams right now. And this is the team that I'm most worried about, despite the fact that I really had a lot of hopes for them coming into the season. I thought they were going to win the division. I thought they were going to, you know, easily just run through their schedule. It's looking like the opposite of that right now. And and yes, you can blame some of it on, on injuries, but to a certain extent, you you got to figure something out and, and you got to, you know, you got to click at some point and, and have that, you know, kind of make sense throughout the year as it goes on. So the Rams are probably the team that of these three, I, I'm not sure if I see them making an immediate switch and, and, and kind of, you know, reeling off a bunch of wins in a row, making it to playoffs and making a deep playoff run. So of these teams, I think the Packers and the Bucks are going to figure it out, but I think the Rams are, are in for some trouble and we'll have to kind of just see how the season goes as it pertains to whether they'll even be able to make the playoffs at this point, because the division's a little tough and so is the rest of the NFC. So I don't know if the Rams are even going to be up for a position or a playoff uh, spot at this time, based on the way that they're playing right now. Yeah. I think that the Rams, I think you're right with the Rams that they just, they almost have no, hope of getting good because it's not really coaching decisions that are making them bad like the Packers or it's it's not really injury I mean it, it is injuries on the offensive line but it's it's not even really the injuries themselves I think it's more yeah it's, it's more of just like the chemistry of the O-line if you don't know who you're playing with game in and game out on the offensive line you're not getting like chemistry matters a lot in in any part of the game of football but I think 
especially in the offensive line, because right, you know who to block when you know you know which guys are blitzing and you know who's gonna take which guy as you play more with that same offensive line. And so if you don't have that kind of consistency there, then it's 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 not gonna work out at all. It's also like the running game, like run blocking in football is a lot different than pass blocking. So in pass blocking, right, you kind of just drop back and you and when you when you do your pass set, that's what it's called when you pass block in as a lineman, it's called a pass set. And it's like when they do that little kick step where they kind of like kick backwards and and move backwards as the defensive line comes at them, you kind of have time to like react to blitzes and stuff like that. But in the run game, you're moving forward and you're trying to get what's called a push off the offensive line. And so blocking in the run game, like if, if you have a beat up offensive line, you don't have chemistry in, in the run game. It's it, it hurts your run game even more just because right. You don't have that time to react as an individual player you like in the run game, you really have to work as a team. You really have to know, okay, if I'm the center and the right guard is pulling around me to get to the linebacker, I've got to, I've got to get that, that backside block, or I've got to turn my, you know, if there's a nose guard, that's in like a zero, that's right over top of the center. I know that I have to, that I have to turn my guy kind of, you know, kind of outside of where the run play is supposed to go to let that guard pull up and, 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 you know, and get the, get the linebacker on the second level. So, I think that the running game or like the the struggles that the Rams have had running the ball so far, it totally makes sense because of their offensive line. And I, I also think that Cam Akers just he's out of there's something up with him. I, I don't think that he's the same player after his torn Achilles. He just hasn't looked good. Like a lot of times there you can see if a an offensive line is is struggling a lot. I think a good example of this is the Steelers. Like the Steelers offensive line struggled a lot in preseason they've gotten a little bit better but they've still kind of struggled here and there throughout the season and we see a lot of times like Najee Harris he'll give so much effort and he'll break three tackles and 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 run laterally but he's still trying to fight for some yards K-Makers on the other hand if he sees any kind of trouble if he doesn't see a hole that's five feet wide he'll just basically just like stand there and wait for a and not even really stand there he'll just like run into where there's traffic. He won't even try to make a cutback or he won't try to make a play on his own. He, he just won't really give any effort. And I think that's, that might be why Sean McVay, like basically benched him the whole entire game in the first game against the bills. And he's playing more now, but I mean the, the, the Rams, like if they're lucky, they'll get 60, 60 rushing yards in a game, which is really bad. Like there's, you, you just can't win football games running the ball like that. And I think that's also why, I mean, everything goes hand in hand in football, as we know, and that's definitely why Matthew Stafford is struggling, struggling as well. It's just because if you don't have a run game, you feel like all the pressure's on you and you feel like you have to do everything to compensate for the running game not working. And so therefore you're kind of just left in this like void of, dang it, I've got to make a play. And we know that when, when quarterbacks try to go out of their way to make a play too much, they, they and usually end up making a play that goes opposite that goes the opposite way on the field and in their favor. And so the Rams are probably like the, the team that I wanted to talk about most for this topic. The, the Packers, I think Matt said it, said it well, um, you know, they just need to establish that running game and keep that running game rather than just straying away from it. Because I've seen way too many times that the Packers just go out there, they run it on first down, they get like zero yards and then, Aaron Rodgers has a five yard throw to make it third and five. And then it's an incomplete pass on the, on the third throw or on the third down. And then 
they have to punt from their own 30 yard line. And it's like, dude, this happens way too many times. We need to, and it's not just this season. I had it. I I've seen it happen in, in those playoff games. Like Matt said, the, the NFC championships that they've made, but haven't won to get to the Super Bowl recently. That happens like that. It, it happens all the time where they kind of just, they kind of just fall apart at the end of games and they don't, they don't score any points at all. And so it, it, it that's a real problem to have when, right. You, you think that you need to pass, but if you have the running game that's working, something's got to break at some point. I think that, you know, there, there are plenty of teams out there around the league that demonstrate that really well. I, th- I think the Browns are one that they demonstrate that really well. Like they, even if they're down in the game, they keep that running game going. Now they do have the best pure runner in the league and Nick, Ch- and Nick Chubb and one of the best receiving backs in the league and Kareem Hunt. But at the same time, it's like, Aaron Jones and, and AJ Dillon are possibly the best running back duo in the NFL. If, if not, they're like in the top three, I would say. And so, right. If you, if you go away from that running game, you're not going to have any success because you need to use that part of your team. That's pro- probably one of the best parts of your team at this point, you know, with the receiving core being very bad and Aaron Rodgers kind of being a part of that receiving core. So yeah, I'm not even really going to talk about the Bucks. I'm just going to I'm just going to leave that out there cuz I think Matt touched up on everything and so we can move on to this next topic. So according to ESPN's Ben Baby, who I, I don't I don't know who that is. I'm pretty good about knowing who ESPN personalities are cuz I listen to a lot of podcasts, I listen to Sports Center, I watch the TV shows. Hayden, who is this guy? I, honestly, I don't even really know. I actually put in parentheses on on this Google Doc whoever the bleep that is. So okay. I, I didn't even take the time to look him up. I just wanted to give credit. So, well, there yeah. you go. Either way, it seems like whoever he is, he, he's definitely keen here on a couple stats. All right. So the Bengals, according to Ben baby, as, as he tweeted out, the Bengals are the first team in NFL history to lose three of its first five games on the final play of those games. They've only lost those three games by a combined eight points too. So on paper, the Bengals don't really look like a team that made the Super Bowl last year, uh, but do they, Pass the eye test, right? So that's the question here. And, and or are they just getting really unlucky? So, so what's your outlook here on the Bengals, Hayden? I'm gonna, I'm gonna probably keep this pretty short. I think that I think they do pass the eye test sometimes, but again, I I think it's a, it's the same struggles from last year that we saw them kind of overcome throughout the season, right? They they had a bad offensive line last year. Joe Burrow was getting sacked a lot. We're seeing that again this year, and it, it's it's happening. And it's costing them games in some cases, but it's also something that, right, they can kind of overcome. And Joe Mixon is another guy who like just he doesn't really have good blocking. And so and he's not really a guy that's going to like amaze you with his with his athleticism. He's a really great athlete and he's he's a you know an, an NFL running back who has a huge frame and can make plays, but he's not going to be a guy that's going to run, you know, 90 yards laterally and then get somehow get you 10 yards he's more of kind of a a North and South guy. And so when your line isn't blocking that well, a lot of times he has 12 rushes for like 18 yards. And it's like, dude, this is, this is just not fun to watch. And it's really right. It's like that. They're kind of football Bengals, AFC North football in general is just really smash smash mouth football where you have a lot of run plays. And then you have a couple of pass plays that go off of the play action and everything like that. I think the Bengals are just kind of struggling because I mean, it's kind of, it's, it's been a theme so far this episode, but right, their their run game is just not really, it's not really clicking. Joe Burrow is getting sacked a lot. And as much as he can make plays when he's outside of the pocket, 
when he's inside the pocket, he a lot of times he gets trapped. But I do think, like, I think that, that in conclusion, this Bengals team, we've seen them come back from struggles like this. And we've seen, right, their defense last year was one of the worst in the league leading up to the playoffs. And they just somehow, like, magically fixed that in the playoffs. And right as soon as their offense started playing out of their minds, their defense was able to was able to hold up the opposing offense to, you know, to a, a, a decent amount of points. I would say, I mean, it, their, their defense still wasn't the best in the playoffs, but they were, they were able to kind of get a little bit good while their offense was just going insane. And so I think that that's, you know, that's definitely what propelled them to a Super Bowl last year. I wouldn't be surprised if we see that again this year. I'm not saying that I'm, I'm not saying that I expect them to make the Super Bowl because I don't at all. But what I am saying is like, I don't think that this is something to be worried about. I just wanted to touch on it because I think that it, it's it's very reminiscent of what we saw last season. Yeah, I, I agree to a certain extent. And really, I mean, Hayden kind of hit on it, right? The offensive line was a problem last year. Okay, will you go out and get Lyle Collins? And and then I think Alex Mack um, is their center now. And he came from the Chiefs or something. And he was, you know, one of the best centers in the league. So it's like they built up the offensive line and it just seems to be, you know, not really working that well. I think he's still on pace to be the most sacked quarterback in the league this year. So people then started saying, well, is it, you know, is it Joe Burrow? Is he the fault? Is he kind of at fault here for taking all these sacks? Right. Either way, it, it should be it should be better than this. And I think that's kind of the point that Hayden brought up. And I think it's a good one and and one that we probably won't be able to really kind of solve until we see a couple more months ago about this. And, and two, because I said on this, you know, on the whole Rams talking topic before, an offensive line is what makes the offense go. And if you don't have chemistry on all that offensive line, despite how much talent you may have, you're not going to really be able to do that much. And so I think that it just, we're just going to need a little bit more time here for the Bengals offensive line to really kind of gel together, you know, make it work with the style of play that Joe, that, um, you know, that Joe Burrow is, you know, kind of performing with as well. I think the other side of this though and I don't know, this may be just me observing. I haven't watched every single play of Bengals football this season, obviously, but they've just, they've lost some heartbreakers, but it's, it's almost like they haven't, it's not like they're, they're, they're losing these games to kind of go back to the point, right? They've lost, you know, all three of the games that went on the final play, all three of those games though, they were losing handily in, in them, in those games respectively, right? So the Steelers at the very beginning of the season, the Steelers were up by, I think, double digits for most of that game. And then they end up winning in overtime, right? The Cowboys were up for up by digit, double, double digits in their game as well. They went on a field goal. And then the Ravens were up by double digits last night in the, in the Sunday night football game. And they also won in a game winning field goal. So it's almost like, oh my gosh, this Bengals team is so heartbreaking. So that stat, I think is a little bit, a little bit, misleading in the fact that you know it's almost like oh well the Bengals have had all these heartbreaking losses it's more so I think they just got out to really really slow starts in all these games come back at the in the second half when you know and I'm also thinking about it too I think all those games Bengals scored 17 points in or somewhere around there um and then ended up just you know right losing the game in the final seconds there but like that's not that many points, right? The Bengals offense is not that great. And so you'd expect them to be doing a little bit better. And they just haven't, especially in the first half of all these games too, where there's just, there's just not that much production. So I think that we, again, I think it kind of just goes back to the fact that we need, you know, we got to give them a little bit more time, but I, I'm, I'm kind of starting to think like, okay, obviously too, though, these defenses are great that they're losing to, right? So the Pittsburgh Steelers are one of the best off, one of the best defenses in football when they have TJ Watt on the field. And so that makes sense why they lost that game. The Cowboys defense is proving to be one of the best defenses in the NFL, obviously with Michael Parsons and, and everything that they have. And they lost that game as well. And then the Ravens defense, as much as, you know, they were banged up last year and whatever, they have a bunch of stars on that team, on that team and on defense who, you know, right. 
Think about last week, right? The, the Ravens defense held the Bills to three points in the first half. That's pretty good. So, yes, they've lost all these games and they've lost them in, in heartbreaking fashion, but they've also lost them against teams that are have defenses that are really good too. So I think we just kind of got to give the Bengals a little bit of credit there and say, hey, they won the games against the teams that they should have beaten, the Dolphins and the Jets, and they lost the games against pretty, you know, probably three of the best defenses in the NFL otherwise. So I think that's kind of how I'm going to look at the situation is that they're still pretty good. They do pass the eye test. They're, they're seeming to get a little bit unlucky, but I think they're kind of just working their way through some tough defense at the beginning of their schedule. And I think it'll probably get a little bit easier as we go forth. So our next topic here is about the recent news, which actually happened in a couple of hours ago, really, um, where the Panthers fired their head coach, Matt Rule. And of course, the dude has now a $40 million buyout uh, that he's still waiting to receive now from the Panthers. And, and again, we talk about buyouts in terms of college football, but the buyouts in the NFL contracts are ridiculous. You just don't hear about it as much because it's the billionaire owners that are paying the buyouts for these coaches in the NFL, right? So that's totally fine. If a billionaire wants to waste all his money on an NFL coach, that's totally fine. That's different. Our argument for the whole college football buyout situation is that it's like, okay, so Paul Christ, who's the Wisconsin coach who just got fired two weeks ago, his buyouts are $11 million. Where's that coming from? That's coming from the boosters. That's coming from the athletic program that could be paying the players. Anyway, we're not going to get on that tangent right now. We're talking about Matt Rule, although there might be a little college connection with Matt Rule coming up in a little bit here. Either way, right, he got fired, he got the buyout. Okay, cool. So all this being said, the Panthers have a pretty brutal schedule ahead, and you never really know what you're going to get with an interim head coach. Who I don't even know who their interim head coach is. It's, the, um, it's their defensive coordinator. I forget it. It's like Steve something, but okay. it's their defensive coordinator. Yeah. Steve something, yeah. So Steve something, good luck against the Rams and the Buccaneers in your next two games. Yeah, right? exactly. So the question here, though, is could we see the Panthers actually end up being the worst team in the NFL this year? Uh, and then as a smooth transition, so Hayden, I'll give Hayden that question. As a smooth transition, I'll follow it up to where we do we think Matt Rule ends up coaching next? Yeah, to answer your question about the Panthers being possibly the worst team in the NFL this season in terms of record, I think yes. I, I honestly do think that we could see them be I, – I do think that they're going to finish worse than the Lions and the Jaguars and probably like the Falcons as well. I mean, the Falcons are in their division, and so – I think that they still have to play both games against the Falcons too. So that's, that's actually get pretty going to be pretty crucial in this take of the Panthers being the worst team in the NFL, which no, I, I guarantee like if you're listening to this right now and saying like, Oh well, yeah, we knew that the Panthers weren't going to be good. I know. I think that I heard a lot of people saying that they're going to get like seven wins this season. I forget what their win total, Matt, do you remember their, their projected win total for the season? I think it was six and a half. Um, or five and a half. I think it was five and a half, six, six and a half, somewhere around there. So looking at like a six and 10 or six and 11 record, seven and 10, something like that. Yeah, exactly. So I would say that that's, that wouldn't be the worst record in the NFL. In fact, I think that that can't be the worst record in the NFL. Like just statistically, it has no chance of happening. And so I think that they're going to probably win a max of like four games this season. I, I mean, I'm looking at their schedule right now. They're one and four so far. And looking at their schedule, they still have to play the Bucks twice. They still have to pay to play the Saints twice. No, wait, they sorry, no, they they beat the Saints once earlier this season, and it was at home. So they're probably going to lose that second game against the Saints, which is actually the last game of the season. So they're probably going to lose that because I can't see them them beating the Saints twice. They still have to beat. I mean, they still have to play the Bucks twice. Like I said, they still have to play the Falcons twice, and they're probably they might go one on one with the Falcons, and then they're out of division games. Like Matt said, the Rams next week. They've got the Bengals in a few weeks. They've got the Ravens too. 
And then they've got the Seahawks and Broncos are are teams that they could beat, I think, but they'll probably drop one of those games and then win one of those games at best. And then they've got the Steelers and Lions, who the Steelers at that point, I think, I mean, the Steelers play them in mid-December. They're going to have TJ Watt back at that point. And, I mean, we saw what Kenny Pickett and George Pickens were doing yesterday. I think that the, that the Steelers are only going to progress throughout the season. So Steelers are, pro- are gonna, definitely going to win that game. And then the Lions are also probably going to beat them too. So it's like, yeah, we're looking at a at best situation, I think, four, maybe, maybe five wins. But I, I really do not see them getting more than four wins for the rest of the season. So that being said, I, I mean, I think that we should look at this and say, well, Hayden might have been right when he said that Baker Mayfield is not the answer to to the Carolina's problems as much as people were saying like, oh, he's he's a good quarterback. He, you know, Cleveland just messes people up like they messed Odell Beckham up and, you know, they their scheme is just really bad. It's like, no, I think that Baker is just bad and that they should maybe try to start. Well, I mean, Matt Corral's hurt. I think he's, he's out for the season. But like at this point. The Panthers, if they do have the worst record in the NFL or one of the worst records in the NFL and they end up getting a very high draft pick next season, like they're probably going to have to draft a QB, which sucks because that's really the only that's really the only option that they have from here on out. But drafting a QB the year after you drafted a QB in I don't even know. I think Matt Corral was drafted in the second or third, third round or fourth round. I think it was third round, yeah. Yeah, third round. Like, after drafting a QB in the third round, you're going to have to draft a QB in the first round of the next draft. That That's just – that is the worst possible scenario. But I do think that that's – that's what I see them doing, honestly. So, that's my take on it. Matt, let's, let's go ahead and talk about Matt Rule. So, Matt Rule has an interesting coaching career. Um, he – I don't know where he was an assistant and everything like that. But his first head coaching position was at Temple University. Now – you think of Temple football and you're like, wait, they have a football team? Yeah, that's because they have been absolutely horrible over the last 20 years. There was a there was a good spot in that 20 years of about, I think, three years, four years when he coached there, during which they were at the top of the AAC, which, again, that's like where Cincinnati and Houston and it's like the best group of five conference, right? So Temple's in that conference. They were competing with Cincinnati. That like UCF, like teams like that, where you know, right? Scott Frost is a coach. UCF, like all these great you know teams in this good conference, this AAC. Um, Temple was was right there. They were you know all I think on the brink of winning the conference a couple of times, and it was because of Matt Rule. And and we've seen that ever since he left. I think that the most games they've won in a single season is like four, maybe this year, I I think they've won two games and it was because they played like UMass and an FCS team. And then they're going to just lose the rest of them. So, and, and again, it's a horrible spot because it's like, it's an inner city school in the middle of Philadelphia. It's tough to recruit around that area to begin with much less, you know, given the fact that there's not many great football talented schools that are around there to begin with, to be able to recruit from, but somehow Matt ruled it, got it done, right? He did it. So because of the success there, and then after the whole Art Brile situation at Baylor, which if you don't know, I don't even want to get into it, but just look it up, Art Bryles at, at Baylor. Basically, there was this 
very large um like sexual harassment ring that was happening and he like knew about it but it didn't matter because he had rg3 and baylor was really great back then winning the big 12 all the time anyway whatever our priles gets fired the athletic director gets fired and baylor is left in shambles because all the players leave too because they don't they're like we don't want to be associated with any of this right so like who do we hire well let's let's hire Matt rule right he was able to somehow get this school in the middle of philadelphia to to be competing with cincinnati and in houston and ucf and all these great teams let's bring in Matt Rule. Well, guess what happens? Baylor goes from, I think, winning two games in a row, basically two and 10 record two years in a row. Matt Rule comes there in his first year of coaching. No, I think it was, I think it was this. I think they went two and 10 the next year because it kind of went like an in, interim year. They bring in Matt Rule. He goes two and 10 again in his first year. And people are like, oh my gosh, this, this school is, you know, is gone. They're never going to be able to do anything again. The next year, he goes two and ten next that one year, and then he goes nine and three the next year, and then continues to go ten and two the following year. And I think played for a Big Twelve championship. And so you're thinking, holy crap, this guy Matt Rule is an amazing coach. Let's get him an NFL job. And this is what he's left with. He goes to the Panthers. Now again, anybody who was put in this situation, most people at the, at that point would not do well based on what he was given, okay? Because you think about the quarterbacks that he had. It was literally, who were the quarterbacks when Matt Rule was there? It was basically a Cam Newton, a, a, a fossil of Cam Newton, who was no longer Cam Newton. You had Sam Darnold, who, despite all the chances he's been given, has never actually been good at playing quarterback. P.J. Walker, for some of those times, because P.J. Walker was basically a walk-on that they had to sign at the last minute to be able to play, and he actually did okay somehow. And then Baker Mayfield, who, as Hayden mentioned, never really was that good of a quarterback. And I think that in Cleveland, he had a great team around him. He just wasn't that actually, he wasn't actually really that great. And I think people were giving him chances because he had a shoulder injury and it's like, Oh, because he, he's so nagged by this shoulder injury. No, I think he just really wasn't that good of a quarterback. And we're seeing that now. So Matt rule just definitely didn't really have a great position to be in the NFL to begin with. Like he kind of came in at a worse time and, and didn't really make things much better. So we got fired. Okay. Whatever. Not only is he going to get a $40 million buyout, but he has the chance to go to one of these really big schools in college who just fired their head coaches, namely Wisconsin, who fired Paul Christ about a couple weeks ago, and Nebraska, who fired Scott Frost, I think now three or four weeks ago. Those are two Big Ten West teams that are really good at football and have storied programs, tradition and everything, and just winning stuff at these football schools something that Matt Rule was able to do at two schools who he should not have had success with at all, okay? So I think we're beginning to see that Matt Rule, and this happens to a lot of people, all right? Nick Saban is a, is a perfect example, right? He wins, a, he wins a, a national championship at LSU, then he goes to the pros and he is with the Miami Dolphins and he absolutely sucks and he goes to Alabama and now he's the best coach in the history of ever, right? Urban Meyer, another example, wins two back-to-back championships at Florida, then takes it off, takes off for a little bit, goes to Ohio State, wins championship in like his second year there, takes off for a little bit, goes to the Jacksonville Jaguars, doesn't even make it a full season, okay? So some of these guys are just better at coaching in college and I think Matt Rule is one of those guys and that's not bad because he's a really good coach, all right? So I think that Matt Rule has a bright future. It's just going to be in college football because he's just the type of guy that, and again, college coaching is extremely different than NFL coaching, mainly because you have to recruit the players that play for your school. You don't have to just sign free agents and play them and whatever else that means, right? You get to pick the players who come to your school and you get to coach them up. And so Matt Rule is really good at just picking guys who are extremely athletic, but don't have much football skills, then getting them into the program, right? Getting them on a weight structure and a, and a, and a diet and everything like that. 
basically just accentuating the athletic skills and talents that they already do have, and then coaching them football really well to turn them into really good pro players. So I think that's what Matt Rule's game is, and I think that he'd be perfect at either one of these schools, Wisconsin or Nebraska, as, as kind of their new head coach, because that's what he's really good at. And I think that's what he can really shine at. So don't be surprised if Matt rule gets a job from one of these places. It may not be right away just because I mean, he was literally fired today. So it might be, you know, six months from now because you got to take a while to kind of, he has to interview. He has to talk to everybody, make sure that he, you know, is comfortable with the job too, because at the end of the day, Matt rule could walk away from coaching. Matt rule doesn't have to work another second of his life just based on the fact that he, okay, let's put it this way. Matt rule, nor his kids, nor his grandchildren, possibly his great grandchildren were ever, will ever have to work a day in their lives just based on the money that he made from the Carolina Panthers buyout, much less the fact that he's already been a head coach at two other major collegiate programs. So he's going to be fine. He might not coach another day in his life and he might be totally fine with that. But I think that he would really be a great hire for one of these college coaches or one of these college programs that's used to winning, but hasn't been recently and is looking for another good hire that they can make to really bring their program back to winning. So I think Matt rule, look out for him to maybe get a good coaching job here or a college coaching job here in the future. All right, there you go. Let's move into college football now. So now that we're halfway through the college football season, let's talk about the college football playoff, but with a twist, because as long as the top four teams don't lose before their conference championships, they'll automatically be in the college football playoff. So we want to talk about the teams that are undefeated, that aren't those kind of top tier teams, as well as the high ranked one loss teams. And we want to determine which are the most likely of those teams, of those kind of high high or high uh, highly ranked one loss teams or undefeated teams you want to talk about which which one of those guys are most likely to earn kind of that fourth spot in the college football playoff um if we do have a case where one of of the top teams lose and maybe we get a couple more teams that slip into the college football playoff that are undefeated that end up being undefeated because of that so i'm going to let matt take this one away and i don't know how many teams we're doing each but i don't know i we're probably gonna try to talk about the same teams but yeah matt go ahead and 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 say your thoughts yeah so we're gonna exclude the top five here because i'm just looking at the at the new rankings that came out um we're gonna exclude the top five here so that's georgia ohio state alabama clemson and michigan and the reason for that is because if all of these teams go undefeated in the regular season and then assumedly win the conference championship as well, that like four of those five teams are going to be chosen for the college football playoff. That's why Hayden mentioned at the beginning of this. We're, we're not including those teams because basically they're all good enough and they're also all ranked high enough to right now to where they're in a position and their remaining schedules are easy enough to where if they just win the rest of the games, that's what the college football is going to play off is going to be. And there's not going to be any of these teams in the lower, you know, lower ranks here, despite the fact that maybe, you know, some of them will go undefeated. So the, the point here is to kind of just talk about some of the underdog teams that are performing way above what anybody thought they would do. And then just kind of, you know, see what would have to happen in order for them to kind of make a, a college football playoff run. So I'm going to start with a couple teams from the SEC. Uh, and then Hayden, you can take maybe the Pac-12. I'll go back with the Big 12. And then, you know, we'll kind of we'll kind of see where we're at after that. So I'm going to do Tennessee and Ole Miss. Okay. So Tennessee is is obviously kind of taking everybody by storm right now. They 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 
were pretty good last year. Their offense was amazing. Their defense had a lot to be desired, and that's the reason that they did end up losing a bunch of those games and, and kind of one of the situations where they beat a lot of the easy teams because their offense was so good, but then they got up against the hard teams and, and they just looked like they didn't even know how to play football. This year's a different story, okay? They've already beaten three top 25 teams and in Florida, Pittsburgh, and LSU, who are all quality football teams, right? So we're thinking about that. I mean, you know, those are good teams. They've won all those games so far, and they're looking really good. Hendon Hooker is the name of their quarterback. He is, I think, probably second in, like, the odds-wise for, for the Heisman voting right now. So he's a potential candidate to win the Heisman Trophy, right, and their quarterback, for, you know, for Tennessee there. And their defense, despite the fact that it's not as great as you may want it to be and, and so much better than last year, it, it is at least an improvement. And the fact that their offense has another year of kind of gelling together and, and still being really good – you know, the sky's the limit for Tennessee. Here's the only problem, okay, is <laughs> at 3.30 p.m. Eastern time on Saturday, this Saturday afternoon, October 15th, Tennessee is going to travel to Tuscaloosa, Alabama and take on the Alabama Crimson Tide. And the fact of the matter is, if, ten if Bryce Young plays this game for Alabama and Tennessee goes into Alabama and tries to win the game, that's not going to be a good opportunity for the Tennessee Volunteers to win that game and have and solidify themselves as a top-tier candidate for the college football playoff. It's probably not going to happen because Alabama's probably going to win that game. So that's kind of where I'm going to stop my Tennessee talk. I really like what they're doing. They are justly ranked at the that's you know sixth in the country. I I think that that's where they should be ranked, but it kind of just comes down to the Alabama game because if they don't win that, I don't really know what's going to happen. They're also they're in the SEC East too, so they also have to play Georgia later on, and so it might be one of those like kind of front loaded things where Tennessee's looking really awesome right now, but unfortunately they just have to play the other two best teams in the SEC and the two teams that are ranked number one and two in the country right now. So, you know, well, no, what one in three, but I mean Alabama could always be have have an argument for being number one. So that's Tennessee. Ole Miss, they're six and zero right now. They're number nine in the country. And kind of also taking people by storm a little bit, they were 10-2 and two last year, okay? So they had a really, really good season last year. Matt Corral was their quarterback. They Lane Kiffin is the head coach. So, I mean, he's been all over college football. He was the offensive coordinator for Alabama for however many years. And he's been, he's coached at Florida Atlantic because he, he's coached at, I don't, a lot of other places too. Um, and I think Ole Miss is kind of his home and he's done really well here so far. They are doing really well during the season so far because they're six and oh, obviously. And they're, you know, they've played really well. And I think that's the thing is Lane Kiffin's known for offense. And so Ole Miss's offense over the past however many years has been really, really good, especially with Matt Corral. And then you think, oh, well, Matt Corral got drafted. So Ole Miss is going to take a step back no sirree bob okay they got a kid in there now named jackson dart who's a transfer from usc he's playing his at he's playing his butt off right now so i mean you know they're still looking fine on the offensive end and the defense has always been the question similar to tennessee Ole miss's defense well essentially it's because of lane kiffin he's kind of just ignorant so he's like all right i know that my offense is going to beat pretty much any team that I go up against. And so I don't really care about defense. He's kind of flipping the script now, right? The offense is performing really well, but the defense has actually been arguably better than the offense has been this year. So I think Ole Miss is really in a good position too, to kind of solidify themselves as like, Hey, we're a top 10 team. Not only is our offense still just as good as it was last year, but the defense is almost double as good as they were last year as well. Ole Miss is in the SEC West as well, though, and that means that they have to play teams like Mississippi State, like LSU, like Alabama. So 
when you get into this SEC West type of schedule, though, that's kind of when you see the the the, the teams that could be really, you know, kind of jargoning for a position in the, in the college football playoff really kind of fall off a little bit. And I think that unfortunately might happen to uh, Ole Miss as well because they haven't played Mississippi State yet. And they just, I think they lost their top wide receiver for the rest of the year as well. And then, uh, and then obviously they haven't played Alabama yet either. So it's kind of one of those things where, I love Tennessee and Ole Miss. And actually, let me th- shout out a, a third school really quickly, Mississippi State. They lost one game. They're five and one so far. They lost their one game to LSU, and it was kind of a, a weird, you know, it was in Baton Rouge. And so it's like, it's tough to win when you go there. Uh, Mississippi State has been absolutely blowing everybody out because uh, Mike Leach is now their coach who runs the air raid offense and Will Rogers, their quarterback, and he's leading the country in passing. So Mississippi State has turned into this juggernaut of an offense and they're beating everybody on the schedule by more than 20 points, right? They crushed Texas A&M. They're not, they just crushed Arkansas, right? So they're looking really good too, but kind of the same deal. They have to play Georgia and they have to play Alabama. And so these three SEC teams, I love the fact that we're getting something else out of the SEC just to outside of, you know, Alabama and Georgia. But this fact of the matter is all the teams that are really looking really good right now still have to play those two top teams. And if one of them is able to topple it, right, and get the win and they can remain undefeated for their whole rest of their schedule, that would be amazing. I just don't think it'll happen. So unfortunately for Tennessee, Ole Miss, and Mississippi State, as much as I will root for them, and they probably will win nine or ten games, they won't win the games that matter the most, which are Georgia and Alabama. So I don't see any of them making a college football playoff appearance. Alrighty, I'm going to talk about the Pac-12, like Matt said, and I'm sure you guys are probably listening to this and, and knowing which teams I'm going to talk about, which two teams I'm going to talk about, and that is USC, Southern California, and UCLA. Now, both of these teams are undefeated. They're both 6-0. and They haven't had their bye, yet, bye week yet, and... I mean, they're they're clicking on all, on all cylinders. Let me tell you, UCLA for starters. I think US, UCLA is probably the team that out of these two teams that we just did not expect to start six and zero this year. And because obviously USC has has Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley as their head coach there now. So right, you kind of expected USC to to at least be somewhat good, but maybe not this good because they haven't had a six and zero start since I think two thousand six. And so that's kind of right around where, where they had their glory years. And so that you know, this season, it's a little bit reminiscent of that, but right. To talk about UCLA for a bit, Dorian Thompson Robinson, if you haven't heard of him yet, he is, he's a dog. He has 15 touchdowns and two interceptions on the season. That's, I mean, he's going to absolutely crush any of his records that he's, or any of his numbers that he's put up in past seasons. I think he has 1500 passing yards so far throughout the six games this season as well. And his record for passing yards is 2,700. So, I mean, he's 1,200 away from from the from his record um, in, in in past seasons, and he's I think he's just going to absolutely crush that because right. I mean, if he's thrown 1,500 through six games, what is he going to do through like six or seven more games? It's it's he's gonna he's he's gonna go crazy. But yeah, I mean, he, he's just been his passer rating has been through the roof. Also, their running back Zach Charbonnet. He ran for a career high 198 yards and a touchdown against Utah on Saturday. And Utah is was supposed to be good. Now you're probably wondering why am I not, not talking about Utah? Well, they lost to UCLA. And so now what is that set as the outlook for uh I think it's is it next week that the that US, USC in in Utah play or is or what when is it? I, I know that they play sometime yeah. this season, but I'm not sure. I know I think I know next week is UCLA in Oregon. Um but it might be yeah, it might they might be like all those top teams are all playing in one week. Yeah, I I don't really know, but 
essentially you, Utah and USC still have to play this season and what this UCLA team or what this UCLA win over Utah says about that USC and, and Utah game. It's probably not going to be as much of a game as we thought it would be. And it's probably not, you know, it, it was actually supposed to be like the game of the year in the PAC 12. And now all these reports are coming out and saying like, well, UCLA basically just debunked <laughs> that game of the year theory and um, and essentially said, well, USC is probably going to take that game pretty handily. But I mean, you never know it. Utah has been a really good team up until this point, up until this loss against UCLA. So you never really know. But right. Nonetheless, on that UCLA team, you've got DTR. That's short for Dorian Thompson Robinson and Zach Charbonnet. Both of these guys are could be Heisman candidates. I think that DTR is probably more of a Heisman candidate so far than Zach Charbonnet. But I mean, that yeah, this offense is, is just going crazy. USC, on the other hand, them too, their offense is going crazy. But again, we kind of expected this because Caleb Williams came with Lincoln Riley to USC. And I think he brought a, a couple other Oklahoma offensive players with him. And so, right, they're just, they're scoring points out the wazoo. I mean, they've scored 66, 41, 45. They scored, the only game that they haven't really scored anything is against Oregon State, which was really weird. They only scored 17 points and they actually only won that game by three. But then they come back the next two weeks and they score 42 and 30. So, I mean, they've scored over 40 points in four out of their six games this season. No, wait. Yeah, four out of their six games so far this season. And their only questionable game has been against Oregon State. But it was at Oregon State. It was an away game. So I don't think that they have to worry about much um, here here for the rest of the season. It actually is next week, the the USC and Utah game. So actually, like, if we're being real, I mean – USC still has to play UCLA as well. So that so that'll probably turn into the game of the year for the Pac-12 and that'll probably that'll pretty much determine I think who loses next um out of these two teams UCLA and USC assuming they win out until they play each other later on in the season on November 19th which is right at the end of the season it's the it's the second to last game of the season. So right I mean we could see one of these one of these Pac-12 teams one of um the you know either UCLA or USC go undefeated. And in that case, assuming one of the top four or five teams, like Matt mentioned in at at the beginning of this topic, assuming one of those teams loses because it's a pretty high chance that one of them does, at least we could maybe see a PAC 12 team slip into the playoff. And finally we could have a PAC 12 team in the playoff for the first time since like 2014 Oregon. So that would, that would be really cool to see. And speaking of Oregon and just, they have one loss, right? And their one loss is against Georgia. But since that game against Georgia, and again, I, I've said this on another podcast too, but I want to bring it up again just to, so that everybody kind of hears it because it's very true. Oregon beat them 49 to three, but Oregon, or sorry, Georgia beat Oregon 49 to three, but Georgia beats pretty much everyone 49 to three, except Missouri. Okay. They beat Auburn 42 to 10, which is almost the same exact score. So, like, the, the whole notion that Oregon sucks just because they lost to Georgia. Oregon's actually a really good football team. They've scored 40 or more points in every single game since then, right? In their four wins since then. And they've blown everybody out of the water. I mean, they beat I, I, they beat Eastern Washington like 70 to three. Um, they, they just, this past weekend, they beat Arizona, who Arizona is supposed to be, you know, up and coming and, and they're getting a little bit better. They beat them by like 35 points. So 
watch out for Oregon too. I think, you know, obviously they have the one loss. And if Georgia remains undefeated for the rest of the season, Oregon's not going to get in over Georgia by any means. Right. Uh, it, it just is kind of unfortunate that they did. That's where they played in the, in the first game of the season. But the fact of the matter is Oregon could very much win the PAC 12. And if that's the case, Oregon wins the PAC 12 and maybe, you know, Ohio state, Ohio state takes a loss somewhere in Michigan beats Ohio state in the big 10 championship, whatever it may be. If you do end up in a situation where there's a little bit of craziness at the top with considering, you know, maybe Clemson loses, right. And, and, and Ohio state loses or michigan loses or whatever if you do need a third team in there and oregon looks dominant and wins every single one of their games aside from that one georgia loss at the beginning of the season and wins convincingly in all those games Oregon can actually make it right now again who's their quarterback it's bo nix he used to play at auburn and he lost every single game that he ever played because he he's good against the teams that he should be good against and he's bad against the teams that should beat him and, and that's probably that's really kind of continued ever since then i mean oregon's been pretty big favorites in all the games that they did win so you know we're still kind of waiting for bo Nix to have a breakout game so that's i think what hayden said really brains true here is that once these better teams start playing each other which i think oregon and ucla play this weekend that's going to be that's really going to kind of just determine who is going to kind of be able to represent the pac-12 if something crazy happens up top I'm going to go ahead and talk about the big 12 here. And then if Hayden has any extra teams that he wants to kind of single out, maybe, you know, one or two teams from either a, a lower conference or just, you know, someone that he wants to point out, uh, then, then he can do that kind of right after I finish here. I'm going to talk about two teams from big 12. The first is Oklahoma state who has been in the top 10 of the rankings. I think since the start of the season, They've won all their games. They just haven't looked really convincing. They've, they've scored a lot of points, which is usually something they don't do. And that was kind of the that was kind of the, the story coming into the season is they lost their defensive coordinator to Ohio State, right? And you're thinking, okay, well, and his name is Jim Knowles, right? So Jim Knowles is known for his defense and everything like that. And so he's at, you know, he's at Oklahoma State. They're doing really well. They're predicating their, you know, the whole team is predicated on defense. And, and the fact that they were, you know, I think they went 10 and 2 last year. They lost by an inch in the Big 12 championship game. They should have won, you know. They should have won a big 12. They've been, you know, competing with Oklahoma for those big 12 titles in the past few years and everything like that. Uh, Spencer Sanders is their offense or Spencer Sanders is their quarterback on offense. And he's, I think been a, like a five or six year starter now. So they have a lot of depth. They have a lot of chances. I think that the fact of the matter is though, their defense is not as good this year and their offense somehow is looking a little bit better. Right. But the thing is they haven't really played the, you know, the more top echelon teams in the big 12, right? So you're looking at, you know, games against a TCU or a Kansas or a Kansas state, those teams that are ranked now, those teams that are doing really well in the big 12 so far. Um, and so I think that, you know, Oklahoma state, yes, they're number eight in the country right now and they're five and oh, and they're looking really good. They're playing some of the middle tier teams and they're not looking as dominant as they, as you would expect them to, as you would think them to, in order to be a contender for the college football playoffs. So I don't know. I mean, again, Oklahoma, it's one of those things, too, that Oklahoma State's one of those teams where, you know, you don't think that they're really that good. But all these games that end up, you know, kind of just being a little crazy and ending up a little weird, they always seem to be on the winning side of those. Right. So so that's kind of the other part part of this puzzle here is like, despite the fact that they don't seem super convincing right now, they also usually end up winning the games that are just end up being a, a toss up anyway. So they could very well end up going undefeated and, and win the big 12. The other team I want to uh, talk about here is TCU. Okay. So now we, we see that TCU, obviously right. Game day, college game day went to Kansas where Kansas played TCU and it was a, you know, a five and O versus five and O matchup and everybody's going crazy. And, you know, it's, Oh, well, whoever, you know, wins this game is going to be, you know, one of the favors to win the big 12 and all this stuff. And, and, 
and yes, that's pretty much what that game was. And TCU came away with a convincing win. It was 38 to 31, I believe. Kansas's quarterback actually got knocked out in the first half. And I don't even think he played the second half. And their backup quarterback came in and played just as really just as well as their starting quarterback. But TCU still won the game, right? They did what they had to do. They won, you know, by a touchdown and they scored a lot of points. And, and that was kind of what we expected from that game and from TCU. I am extremely high on TCU. I actually bet them to win the Big 12 at like 25 to 1 before the season started because nobody ever nobody really believed in them but I was just like hey the back the Big 12 is always wide open any you know, any team could win the Big 12 and you know with you know with Oklahoma how they're kind of struggling now and we're actually going to talk about them next uh so that's why we're not really getting into them too much right here but Oklahoma State who really knows Baylor who really knows Iowa State Kansas State all these teams right you just like they're they're all kind of mumbo jumbo here uh but TCU I think really has the goods to be able to really make a statement here Sonny Dykes is a first year head coach with TCU uh, but he's a very offensively minded head coach who I think he coached at SMU before this. So, so he's really good with his offensive coaching abilities and TCU has a really good offense and they've had a really good offense for the past however many years. They just kind of needed a, you know, a, I think a jump start, right? So Gary Patterson was their, were their coach for like 20 something years. Um, and he, he even brought them from, they were used to be in the mountain West. Then he, you know, they were so good in the mountain West that he moved to the big 12. They had like a 12 and 0 year in the big 12. I think they actually made, I want to think, I think that the year that they were 12 and 0 or 13 0 or whatever, well, no, they were actually 12 and 0 because that was when the Big 12 didn't have a conference championship game. I think it was like the last year of the BCS where it's like they should have been in, or maybe it was the first year of the college football play. I'm now I'm, 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 so I'm actually probably going to look it up right after the podcast. I think it was the first year of the, of the college football playoff and they, they like got gypped or something. But anyway, TCU's had a storied history, but over the past two years, they haven't been that great. But I think they're really back this year. And I think that, you know, I, obviously, they're showing it because they're five and zero, oh, um, but I think they're not getting as much love as they should. And I think they have a really good chance to win the win the Big Twelve this year. And again, we kind of been saying it for all the other teams, but look out for TCU as a really uh, you know dark horse candidate here. Like if they were on the table, they win the Big Twelve. Who knows what can happen if one of the teams up top loses? TCU could be right there. And the other team I want to mention just very briefly is Texas. Everybody gets crazy, go crazy about Texas. Texas back, whatever, whatever. Okay, Texas lost by one point to Alabama, and they lost on a overtime double overtime last second field goal against texas tech but dude the way texas is looking and the fact that quinn ewers who's their starting quarterback has been out for the last two well he got hurt in the game against alabama and then he was out for the texas tech game he's back and he's looking like an amazing quarterback and one of the one of those situations where texas could legitimately win the rest of the games on our schedule and we've kind of dropped them out of the big 12 conversation just because they've been so bad for the last 10 15 years but if they're, they could really be back this year and win the Big 12. But the problem is, if they do that, they have already have two losses. They're not going to the college football playoff with two losses. So it's kind of just one of those situations where I think the best bet for the Big 12 is Oklahoma or TCU. Hayden, do you have anybody else you want to talk about, or we can just move on to the next topic? What do you got? Well, no, I, uh, I don't have anybody else we want to talk about. And I think you just said who has the best chance for the, for the Big 12. I think you said Oklahoma or TCU. Did you mean Oklahoma State? I meant Oklahoma state, but however, are we, should, should we talk about what, what's the next topic on the schedule? That's exactly what I was going to get to. And and right now that we've talked about all the good teams, let's uh, let's talk about the bad. And that is Oklahoma, a team that we thought were just having some early season struggles, but it turns out that they're just actually playing bad. Like they, they just really cannot win games. They so this past weekend it was it was probably the the biggest display of that the grandest display of how bad they are. 
They lost the Red River rivalry on Saturday, 49-0. to zero. Now, I'm going to give you a couple stats that, that might blow your mind here, from specifically from that Red River, Red River rivalry. Dude, I can never say that. In, like that is such a tongue, tongue it's, twister. It's a tongue twister. It used to be called the Red River Shootout, but obviously that got a little controversial these days. Yeah. So they changed the name to an even harder name to say Red River Rivalry. Yeah, exactly. So there you go. So a couple stats here. After losing 55 to 24 last week against who was it? Who was it? It was Kansas State, right? Kansas State. Right. Against TCU. Uh, last week, and then obviously forty-nine to zero this week. Oklahoma has now lost consecutive games by by thirty points or more for the first time in program history. So they haven't; they've never lost two consecutive games by thirty or more points until now. And also, the last time that Oklahoma was shut out was in nineteen ninety-eight. That was the year that Matt was born. So Matt, I, this was two just two months after Matt was born. So the last time that the Oklahoma Sooners were shut out was two months after Matt was born, which makes that 24, well, almost 24 years ago, like 23 years and 11 months ago. Um, And so, yeah, Saturday's loss ends the streak of 311 consecutive games of Oklahoma scoring at least one point. So that's that's another stat for you. Another stat, one more stat, is that, Oklahoma did hold the longest uh, the longest running streak of games where they scored an offensive touchdown with 167 consecutive games they had scored an offensive touchdown and that was broken on Saturday with Texas holding them to zero. So yes, they like Oklahoma. We know that they've been very good in the past with right. They had three straight Heisman quarterbacks and they were you know just a, an absolute powerhouse with Lincoln Riley there. But like they have just absolutely fallen off a cliff since they since basically since Lincoln Riley left and Brent Venables came in and took over as head coach. Now Dylan Gabriel has been hurt and I, I, he didn't play against, he didn't play against Texas. But it's one of those things where like you not having your like you got to score at least one touchdown or at, at least three points, right? You got to score at least a field goal to have some kind of pride in this game. But they they weren't able to and. I mean, losing 49 to, to zero in a rivalry game is like the worst thing ever. And, and they lost at home. Like they, it was in Oklahoma. Texas came to Oklahoma. Oklahoma was doing the horns down thing, you know, whatever they do. They're, like they're the ones that started that. And they were doing that before the game. And after the game, they were left with no choice but to go horns up because Texas just absolutely dragged them. And I didn't even really watch that game because I, couldn't because I was I was working at the the UVA game but it was crazy to see the score come up on like because a lot of times at the scoreboard at the UVA games they'll they'll put up scores of other games that are happening at that time and they put up the score of the Texas game and I was like there's absolutely no way <laughs> I was just I was yeah I was going crazy but uh I don't know I, I I'm gonna pose this question to Matt and it's probably gonna be a pretty pretty concise answer and a pretty uh sure answer here but do we see Oklahoma being possibly one of the worst teams in the Big 12 after basically dominating dominating the Big 12 for the past five, six years? I think it is possible, right? And I just kind of mentioned it when I was talking about Oklahoma State and, and TCU and, um, and, you know, Kansas State and Texas and, and all these teams that are kind of, you know, looking good and vying for a, a potential college football playoff spot. You think about the other teams in the Big 12 too, Baylor, 
has been really good the past couple of years. And, and they've, you know, had, they've basically lost to BYU and in, in, um, they basically lost to BYU and Oklahoma state who are also ranked, you know, ranked in the top 25, Iowa state, they lost to lost by one point to Kansas state. They've had some good wins as well. So Texas tech beat, beat Texas, right? They look good against uh, Kansas state. They look good against Oklahoma state this past weekend. So basically besides West Virginia, Oklahoma might be, you know, might be, could be, uh, you know, kind of the, the, the worst team in the big 12, or at least end up in, you know, so, sort of a six and six type of record um, making some sort of bowl game, but, but maybe not really. And, and I think, again, I mean, Hayden's, you know, right throughout all the stats, it's, it's the worst since this is the worst since that. The problem is Oklahoma came into the season and actually, so Brent Venables is their new coach. He used to be the defensive coordinator at Clemson. He came into the year and actually said something that was pretty remarkable. He said that there's 53 guys or 55 or 51 or something like that uh, players on the Oklahoma football team this year who have never worn an Oklahoma jersey before. That's a lot, okay? Because you think about there's 83 scholarships or scholarship players that can be on a team at one time, and you have, you know, 20, 30 walk-ons and, and preferred walk, whatever it may be, right? So there's just over 100 people on a football team at all times. More than half of those guys have never worn an Oklahoma jersey before. That's tough. On top of the fact, well, what the, what's the reason for that, Matt? Well, it's because Lincoln Riley, who was the previous head coach, basically took himself a bunch of his best players and much of his best coaches all to USC. And we see how that's looking right now, which is, which is pretty dang good. But as a result, you leave Brent Venables in a situation where Oklahoma just doesn't really have much. Right. And so you, you see that kind of the, the leftovers of what Lincoln Riley left isn't that great. And you don't expect it to be that great. And whoever they got in the transfer portal is new to the program and, and has a new coach and everything that they're not sure what the, what it's going to be like going forward. So the issue with Oklahoma is not, Oh my gosh, they're doomed. The issue with Oklahoma is that it's it's the it's probably the biggest transition year in the history of the program, and it might just take a year for things to kind of get back on track. Brent Venables is a good coach, all right. So he's going to get his recruiting started. He's going to bring in guys who he can coach up to play really well. He's, he's a defensively minded head coach. So really, what he needs to do, and, and that's been the knock on Oklahoma these past you know five or six years. They just need a defense, right? So. He'll get them a defense. He'll let his offensive coaches take care of the offensive stuff and Oklahoma will be fine in general. All right. So I think it's, it's yes, this year is not going to be good for Oklahoma at all. They're they're They might finish six and six. They might finish five and seven, right? Who knows? But it's going to take probably one or two years. And I think Oklahoma will be right back to where they were before because they're the premier program of the Midwest. Like basically anything from like Ohio state to literally like, like Utah and Oregon and UCLA and up like basically the entire West coast, like that entire area is literally just Oklahoma. And that's been Oklahoma for, you know, for the last basically 15 years, 20 years. So they're going to be fine. They just kind of need one really, really, really crazy rebuilding year. And if that's what it takes, like if, if that, like that notion of like more than half the players have never played for Oklahoma before. And you have a new head coach and you have a new offensive coordinator and all this other stuff going on and the, all these transfers and everything like that. Like if the result of that is just one six and six season, I think that's okay. Right. I mean, that's one of those situations where it's like, they're going to rebuild, they're going to be okay. And so from here on out, I think it'll be okay. But in the meantime, that's good, right? Because it means the Big 12 is up for grabs. Anybody can win it. So I think that's kind of the cool part that we should take out of this is that Oklahoma will be good and they will be fine, right? In the, in the next coming years or so. But this year, the Big 12 is wide open. Anybody can win it. And I think that's kind of, you know, kind of the good part about this is that we can we can see we can see someone else have a chance for once. Yeah, there you go. Very good synopsis of that. All right, let's move into our fun segment, which is the last segment of the day. But trust me, it's probably going to be the most fun one. So that being said, let's get into it. 
All right. So the fun segment that we have for planned for today is kind of just a little short one and it's a little funny one, obviously, but it's going to be a kind of a spinoff or like making fun of the whole Broncos country. Let's ride thing that you see all over social media and you see Russell Wilson say after every single press conference, even, even after their terrible loss in overtime, 12 to nine, where there were seven field goals scored in that Thursday night game against the Colts. Even after that press conference, he still said Broncos country, let's ride as he was leaving the microphone still in all of his pads and gear. But yes, he still said Broncos country, let's ride after that horrific loss that we just wanted to stick forks in our eyes while watching. So in honor of that, we are actually going to um, do a little spinoff of that. And we're going to uh, we're going to say Broncos country, let's blank. And we're just going to add some like ridiculous phrase onto the end of that onto the end of that phrase to make it to basically make fun of the whole ride thing and instead of riding the broncos are just losing a lot and playing absolutely terribly on offense at least and so we are going to do a little parody of that and i'm going to start out with one this actually so this segment was inspired from a group chat with me, Matt, and our dad, where we were talking throughout the Brown, the Broncos and Colts game on Thursday night. And we were just basically talking about how incredibly bad the game was. And so I, I just came up with this like funny saying, and, and it was this Broncos country. Let's miss every throw that has a chance of going over 10 yards because Russell Wilson looked like he just, he, he just couldn't throw a ball on, on Thursday night. He just could not throw anything. And so it started off with that, that little uh, that little phrase there, and so we decided to make it a podcast segment for this week. So I'd be interested to hear what Matt has as his first Broncos country. Let's blank. So mine, I'm actually going to do two kind of more Broncos focused ones for this kind of first, since it's the inaugural one, right? And we got to kind of keep it with the Broncos. So I'm going to do that. Hayden, I think, kind of branched out a little bit so that we'll get a little bit of both uh, in here today. I kept both mine Broncos related. So my first one is Broncos country. Let's have the worst statistical red zone conversion rate through five games in NFL history. That's right. Uh, 21.43% of their red zone possessions have converted into any type of points. And we've seen it happen time after time. Another part of that fun group chat moment that, that Hayden and my dad and I all had on that Thursday night game was when at some point in the game, I don't even remember what the score was because there weren't that many scores anyway. So whatever uh, the Broncos had first and goal, I think at the five or the four. Oh, it was at that, that the really long pass play to, to Cortland Sutton where the rough like falls over hey. and basically like, cr- or no, the one of the Colts defenders like crushes the ref and they both fall over. And then it's like two Broncos receivers right there. And that's the only reason that that play happened. Anyway, they end up with like a first and goal on the five from that. And I wanted to text them and I was literally like writing it. And I was just like, the Broncos are probably not going to get a touchdown out of this. And then I was like, going to be like, would it be even funnier if the Broncos didn't get any points off of this? And what proceeded to happen? The Broncos go like negative 15 yards because of a penalty and like two sacks and everything. And they go for the field goal. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I should have sent it because they're going to get a field goal out of this, not even a touchdown. And then the field goal gets blocked. And I'm like, this is <laughs> the perfect epitome of the Broncos offense this season. I think against the Seahawks to start the season, the first game, that Monday night game, it was like, they had like, you know, right like five red zone trips and they got three points out of it. You know, the next games have been more of the same. They scored 11 points against the, you know, against the, uh, against the 49ers and won that game miraculously. So that's my, that's my, it's it actually is an NFL record. Like the Broncos and I'm looking at the stat right now, the Broncos have 21% of their red zone 
uh, possessions have been converted. It then basically goes to 40%. And that's ironically Seattle at 40%. So it's like, and then the jump, jump from 40 to 60 as like kind of just doing, you know, a 20% increase. The 60% or the last team, the 60% is in the top 10 of the NFL. So basically like the drop from 60% to 40% is 10th in the NFL to 31st in the NFL. And that same percentage point difference is from 31st in the NFL to 32nd in the NFL, which the, which is the, you know, the Seahawks to the Broncos, just one team over. That's how bad they've been. So there's my first Broncos country. I think that's probably a good summation of, of what this, this whole fun segment is trying to encompass. Yeah. That, that one was actually really good. Um, my next one is not quite as good as that, but it is Broncos country. Let's continue to start a running back that has struggled immensely with fumbles this season. And that is Melvin. If you don't know who I'm talking about, it's Melvin Gordon. Now you might be listening to this right now and saying, okay, well, Javante Williams, their starting running back, technically, he just got hurt towards ACL. He's out for the season. Yes, but they also have a guy named Mike Boone who used to play in Minnesota and was actually pretty good there because, well, when Dalvin Cook got hurt basically all the time in the past, over the past couple of years, they would have to use Alexander Madison, who was the backup in Minnesota. But then they would also use Mike Boone as kind of like the second back to Alexander Madison when Dalvin Cook got hurt. Now, they're kind of doing the same thing in Denver with Melvin Gordon and Mike Boone, but Mike Boone is still kind of the backup to Melvin Gordon. And don't get me wrong, I love some Melvin Gordon. Like, I think that he's been a great running back in the NFL so far, but for the Broncos, he just hasn't really been that good. And not only is he not really producing that much, but if he does produce, it's like it's it's off of like one big play, and then he'll just kind of balance that out with a fumble and he'll just and he'll sometimes he'll lose a fumble sometimes he won't I actually think that he has I think five total fumbles on the season like I think he's fumbled in every game but he uh I think the one that he fumbled on Thursday against the Colts I think that was the only one that got recovered by the offense so I think he's actually technically like lost the ball on a play in every game this season but he's he's had four of the out of the five that have been lost in the first four games of the season. So that's, I mean, that's just a recipe for disaster in itself, in my opinion. Yeah. And he's been bad with fumbles throughout his whole career. Remember he was actually, he was actually drafted by the chargers. So he was really good at, he was Wisconsin. He was like one of their top rushers in in the history of Wisconsin, which is actually really hard to do because as we know, Wisconsin produces running backs like grandma's bacon cookies in the oven. So he comes out, he comes out of Wisconsin, he gets drafted by the Chargers, and he was like horrible in his first year. People were like, oh my God, he's such a boss, like whatever. And then he goes off for the next like two or three years, and he's so good. Uh, and then yeah, he gets straight to the Broncos. He hasn't really done much except fumble since. So my second uh Broncos country is is kind of related, but I just kind of want to emphasize the fact that the Broncos are just really bad. Um, and I was gonna do one, I was actually gonna do three. I only have two today. The, the other one I was gonna do was a little complicated because I was trying to figure out like what the Broncos traded away to get Russell Wilson in the first place. And I was going to be like, Bronson, Bronson country, let's trade away. You know, I, I didn't even know what it was. And then, and then pay $250 million, whatever. So I'm just going to simplify it basically by saying Broncos country, let's look only a little bit better than the Iowa Hawkeyes college football offense. And that is because Iowa, in case you haven't just, just Google search Iowa football and look at their scores. It is, it is like, actually impossible to watch this team play football because they can't score the ball it's like it's it's mind-boggling the fact that like they're I think and I don't even want to bring up the stats and the passing yards and the rushing yard like it's like whatever there's a sequence this week in the Iowa versus Illinois football game which 
Iowa, Illinois is a heck of a, I mean, you want to sit down for three hours on your couch and watch a game. Iowa, Illinois is probably number last on the list of those, of those options. And rightly so, because guess what the final score was, Hayden? I don't know if you know it, but it was nine to six. Yes. <laughs> wow. You, you thought you couldn't get worse than a Thursday night football game ending 12 to nine. You got a college football game ending nine to six. All right. There was a, there was a sequence in this game though, where Iowa punts the ball to Illinois, Illinois, the guy muffs the punt. Oh my God. The guy muffs the punt. All right. So fine. So he muffed the punt. Iowa jumps on it. They're in field goal range. They proceed to lose 15 yards from sacks and penalties and whatever, and they get knocked out of field goal range. They punt the ball to Illinois again. Illinois gets their ball, gets the ball in like their own five yard line. The very first play after they get the punt, you know, to start an offense, they fumble it and Iowa recovers. Iowa then is on first and goal on the five yard line. They proceed to lose 20 yards with sacks and negative runs and everything like that. And they get a field goal out of it. And it's like, that just encompasses Iowa's offense and just it's just incapability to score points. And so far from what we've seen from the Broncos this season, in addition to the fact that the, the, their red zone conversion rate is historically low, it, it must be because they're looking at Iowa football and they're like, we, we have to emulate Iowa as much as possible, even though that's probably the worst thing that you could ever do when it comes to trying to score in football games. Yes, I'm sure that Russell Wilson is spending his Wednesday afternoons watching the Iowa Hawkeyes play football. All right. Well, my last Broncos country of the day here is Broncos country. Let's all get paid millions of dollars to play peewee caliber football in prime time, because that, that is what it looked like on Thursday night. I mean, I, I can't emphasize enough how, like how much that Thursday night game made me want to just rip my ears off. But like it, it just, and I don't even know why I said ears because I'm watching it with my eyes, but I mean, years too like there was actually one point in the there was one point in the in the broadcast which is now on amazon prime and it's al michaels and kirk street that do it so it's like a completely new cast for the whole football thursday thursday night football scene but and i i actually really like these two guys together i mean they're they're great when they commentate games together but there was a point in the broadcast where al michaels basically just went he was like you know i think that there's a point where a game is so bad that it just begins to like to be to be good in, in in some way and it was because i mean i guess he was saying that because it was still a close game like it was still the game was still within three points i think it was nine to six at this point but the game was still within three points and he was like yeah so kirk do you like do you think i'm right on that and then kirk pauses for a little bit and he's like no <laughs> he's like i actually don't think that that's true and he was like because this game is just so atrocious and they were literally just roasting like how bad the game was on the broadcast on on a prime time game it was, yeah, it was it was just funny to see that because or hear that. And that's what made me want to rip my ears out because I mean it was funny like what they said, but it was kind of just like, yes, this is actually what this is like the synopsis of this whole game. It's just that no, like this game cannot be good in any way. You can't even argue that it's good because it's a close game because it's just seven field goals and no scoring touchdowns. But yeah, that's gonna that's gonna end off the episode for today. Uh we will have we will be back on Right on Thursday, most likely with a another episode. Matt, that'll be when Matt does his betting locks of the week because we all know that you guys need those before the weekend. So yeah, and they uh, they, they took some L's this weekend. I I, I don't I yeah, we're we're going back in the lab. That's all I'm gonna say. Yeah, it's it's okay. I think we actually had a little bit of a slump last year too when we started to do the betting the betting locks of the week. I think there was a little bit of a of a rough start, but then uh, but then we ramped it up. Well. Matt ramped it up, um, you know, after that. So just, just a little early season struggles here with, with Matt's betting logs, but 
yeah, he, he will get that corrected this week with, with a couple more that will definitely actually be locks. So uh, stay tuned for that on Wednesday. I mean, on Thursday and yeah, hope you guys enjoyed the episode today. Can't wait to get back to you on Thursday and we'll see you then. <laughs>